One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Playful Podcast, your guide into the underground scene where we discover topics on kink and electronic music every week. Don't forget to subscribe to not miss out on our next episode. We are here today with Ariana, better known as DJ Volvox. Volvox is based in New York and a dominant force on the underground techno scene with regular appearances at Bergheim, for example, known for high energy sets. In our conversation, we talk about the kink versus techno scene, safety for queer people and changes she wishes to see in the future, amongst much more. I'm Amanda and this is Playful Podcast. And we're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. When did you fly in? Um, I arrived on Monday. On Monday? Yeah. I'm just gonna. Should I move over? No, that's perfect. Yeah. On Monday. All right. And then you're gonna be in Europe for some time. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm here for the rest of the summer. Um, I kind of took a little bit of time off in June, which was actually really nice. Yeah. And um, just kind of didn't work every weekend and well got ready for this period which I have a lot of really big shows coming up festival period yeah exactly <laughs> so um I mean in the past like I would be in Europe throughout the summer like back and forth so but things are a little more um just messy with bookings and and the festivals and shows getting canceled and changing and oh still there's, there's just a lot of yeah there's just a lot of um a lot more uncertainty in the booking Oh, and, shit. And party realm in general. Since COVID. Yeah, since COVID and also because of the war and just like a lot of oh, things yeah. are just, just out of, just disorganized. Oh, yeah. And I think that fewer people are going out from what I hear. I mean, everything that I have played has been successful. Mm. Um, but I've heard of a lot of other shows that people have getting canceled. I think that maybe I booked a little bit less because promoters in Europe 
were not so certain about having to commit to bringing artists from the United States because if they had to cancel, there were all these other sunk costs that they were going to lose out on. Oh, um, yeah. But on the other hand, the good news is that, you know, my career has gotten to the point where I'm working with a lot of larger um, promoters. And so, you know, they make plans well in advance and they keep their plans, you know, like Awakenings Festival is going to happen. Like Burkheim yes. is going to happen. <laughs> and so... Thankfully, that's all stayed, you know, the course and, and it's coming through like as planned. And I think that, you know, I used to play for a lot of smaller promoters and they all seem to have disappeared. Um, and I think maybe a lot of them went out of business. Unfortunately. That's so sad. And yeah. so that's just like an unfortunate aspect of what's happened mm. because of COVID. Mm. Um, but yeah, like at the same time, you know, all of these opportunities for these greater things have kind of fallen into place that. We're supposed to happen back in maybe like 2020, but you know, because like I said, when I joined, joined Triangle, we were like, you know, on a on a path to really kind of get there, and then we had to wait two years, and it was sort of like, mm. um, but you know, I I took those two years to continue to refine my sound and just prepare myself for what was ahead, and so um, now we're finally getting there again. Exactly. You know? Just had to wait a little bit longer. Yeah. But a well-needed vacation anyway you had. Yeah, I mean, I was not mad to just stay home for some time, I have to be honest. Like, it definitely got depressing after, like, you know, the months went on and on. I thought it was going to be over in, like, a year, you know? Yeah, oh, God. And, I uh, thought three months. <laughs> right. Very naive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I was, like, spending money like it was going to be over. I was just, like, you know, buying takeout and shopping online. And I was like, this is going to be whatever, you know? And then when it didn't end... After the first year, I was like, <laughs> you know, because I spent a lot of money and just was like not, not budgeting. And not the skin thoughtful. started to itch. Like, I mean, yeah, at least for me, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very happy to chill. I mean, like I had been on tour internationally nonstop since 2015, like when I broke through. So it's funny slash scary because I have to admit that. Before it happened, I sort of did wish that the world would maybe stop turning. <laughs> yeah. And then it did. And I was like, okay, just kidding. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that that was welcome in a way. But, yeah, once it dragged on into the second year, it got really depressing. Yeah, and, yeah for sure. You know, I'm thankful that I had a partner that could sort of, like, kick my butt and get me off the couch and, like, get me doing things again. And, you know, of course, the whole, like, streaming era was a nightmare and... I was not comfortable to stream from my house no. and you know, I was just like, DJs are already expected to share so much of themselves online. I was like, what my house looks like is not your business. No, like yeah. I'm not interested in being judged by that, whether positively or negatively. No. And yeah, that was just like too much. So yeah. like, you know, I agreed to do streamings and podcasts that could be like at a club or like, you know, just a, a podcast, like, you know, regular DJ mix. But yeah, all of that streaming from home, I was like, Absolutely not. <laughs> it feels like you have a lot of integrity. Like, what are some other words that you would describe yourself with? I mean, I would definitely say I'm driven. I would definitely say I'm questioning. Um, I would definitely say I'm hedonistic. You know, I think that what brought me to dance music as a career was really just love of dance and fun and partying. <laughs> Um, you know, even since I was a very young child, I was drawn to music and, 
you know, there was a lot of music in my home. My parents weren't musicians, but they just liked music. And so, you know, I can think of like, you know, even when I was very, very young, there's a video of me dancing as like a toddler to Madonna's True Blue album. And I was just like going in and my mom was like, I don't know, she just started doing this. And I feel like since then I've just been drawn to music, I guess that was danceable, you know, like in the early nineties, there was so much, um, pop music that was house inspired, you know, like Paula Abdul and, um, you know, technotronic and just like whatever, like pop radio was very dance oriented. Like a lot of, you know, this music that was just on, that I was just hearing as a child. And I was just really drawn to that. And as soon as I could go to dance events, you know, like my middle school dance, I went to every single middle school dance. And then I went to every single high school dance. And then by the time I was maybe like 15, 16, I was kind of getting involved in like alternative scenes and like alternative music, like goth and industrial. And there were shows at clubs that I could go to, like goth clubs. Um, and then, you know, I would just like hide in the bathroom after the all ages show and just like stay for the club night afterwards. So I don't know, something about nightlife just really attracted me and kind of like the fantasy and but mostly the music and just kind of being able to go out and have fun and dance. Didn't, didn't get tired. I never got <laughs> tired. You know, it was funny. I went to my first rave in the year 2000. My friends took me there and, um, I was pretty naive about, drugs in general at that Where point. Was it? This would be in Buffalo, New York. So I was born in Brazil in Sao Paulo, but my parents moved to Buffalo, New York, which is where my mother was from when I was two years old because of a really out of control financial, economic, and political situation in Brazil in the mid 80s. Um, Brazil was being run by a military dictatorship. There was a run on the banks. Like it was just like really messy. So my parents with a two-year-old baby who had just lost their life savings due to these banks, um, moved to the U.S. and were supported by my mother's parents. And so I grew up in Buffalo, which is like, you know, it was a cute city, upstate New York. It's close to Toronto. But, you know, it was like a Rust Belt city, which means that it was very, it was a very prosperous city in like the 20s when like industry was growing in like the northeastern United States. And when that sort of era ended, the city experienced a tremendous decline. And so it was a city that had a lot of income disparity, a lot of racial disparity. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I was kind of growing up in the suburbs. And um, so I had an experience that was very um, idyllic and like very privileged in that sense. Um, but Buffalo was a place where there were lots of warehouses and like empty storefronts. And so that created an opportunity for culture to expand into those spaces. And so there was a lot of music, industrial music, bands. Buffalo is very known for hardcore music, although that was never really my scene particularly. I know there's a lot of famous bands from that scene there. And yeah, raves. There were lots of really, really huge raves. And so I started going to raves in the year 2000 with my friends. And I was just... When, how old were you then? I was 15 in the year 15, 2000. Yeah. yeah. Um, Young little raver. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, um, I had really good grades in school. And my parents were like, okay, you want to do this? You have good grades. We're going to drop you off. and We're going to pick you up. Just to see how this is all going to go down, right? Eyes are on you. Yeah. 
And um, I was just so happy to have an opportunity to go somewhere to dance for 12 hours straight. And I, I really just had the energy to do that. And like when I think back, I realized that maybe some of my friends were taking stuff, but they never gave it to me for whatever reason. Like, and um, so I just- Were you hanging out with older kids? No, they were all high schoolers as well. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. A lot of these raves um, were all ages. And so you could, you know, they'd X your hands or something like that. And, and you could go. Um, because, you know, they weren't necessarily about selling alcohol. I guess there were bars. I honestly can't even remember. <laughs> I just remember, like, music, big room, you know, outfits, candy. You know, people had, like, all their looks, and everyone was always so friendly. And, you know, there were all the different styles of music, techno, trance, house, drum and bass, ambient. And um, Oh, wow. What a place to explore your own musical taste. Yeah. That's you know? amazing. That was a really cool experience. And, like, mm. I mean, for example, like, I remember the first time I went into a drum and bass room mm. and I didn't know what to do with my body. I was like, I don't know how to dance to this music. And that's the first time that's ever happened because, you know, I think that, you know, being born in Brazil, um, Brazil, Brazilian culture is just so focused around dance and movement and enjoyment and happiness. Um, I feel like that's just something that just comes out of me naturally. And so not knowing what to do with my body is like not a problem that I had ever had before. Um, so that was very funny. And I remember that so clearly because it was just so different from what I had experienced until then. But yeah, you know, so I went to raves and then kind of started moving into kind of more like darker culture and sounds And um, kind of by the time I was graduating from high school, I was already like very well entrenched in the idea that like nightlife was my thing and like what I did. And so when it came time to choose where to go to college, I was looking at colleges in, um, in, in Indiana and Chicago and in Massachusetts and Boston. And basically I ended up choosing Boston because the clubbing age in Chicago was 21. Smart. And I was like, I'm not going to wait three years. I'm not going to stop going to clubs for three years. Like, that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I went to Boston and I had a really great experience there. Um, I was I was already very savvy about being online. And like back then, it was kind of like pre what we would consider to be social media today. But there were websites like LiveJournal where you could write about your life and connect with other people um, that you didn't necessarily know. And so I ended up seeking out people on live journal that were in this goth industrial scene. Um, and you I were early with uh, new trends, like, or were you like, were you always uh, on top of social media channels and getting friends online and these kind of things? You or? know, like I was like a cyber kid on the internet. Yeah. I think that like, even when I was in, middle school mm. I don't know I had a moment where I just wanted I realized that I just didn't want to listen to what other people listen to yeah and like I don't really know where that came from I just like had a moment and that was also kind of when the internet was really becoming a place where you could access music for free like Napster and stuff like that so jumping back that kind of is how I got started in just like knowing about 
alternative music. Mm. I mean, like electronica was also really popular, you know, in the late 90s. We're talking like 1997, 1998, 1999. You know, The Prodigy had like a huge album, The Fat of the Land. That was a really big album for me. The Crystal Method, Moby, Mm. you know, all of that stuff I was listening to. In addition to other like, you know, like R&B and rock and roll and punk rock, um, you know, that was kind of like all that kind of late 90s soundscape. And so alternative music was sort of something that was kind of in the mainstream. And so I guess I just followed the mainstream versions of, you know, alternative music and electronic dance into something that was truly alternative and underground. And it feels also like the goth community or like subcultures in general were bigger in on social media when it started because of seeking people who were like-minded. That's true. That's true. And actually, I also had that experience because uh, I discovered the music before I really discovered the community. Mm. And so for a long time, I sort of just like listened to this music, but like on my own. Mm. And then, you know, my dad, who always kind of helped me. My dad was very into computers and we had computers at my house like early on. And so he exposed me to this technology and he gave me access to the internet and sort of let me do whatever I wanted on it. Um, And I definitely did some stuff. Um, But mostly it was just, yeah, like seeking people that were interesting and like-minded. I definitely was part of like several different communities online. Like, you know, even like as a teenager or even younger, I was like, really into Sailor Moon and I found like Sailor Moon fans online and so we would connect and then later on through kind of like the goth industrial scene um you know like all of these like uh plastic hair extensions and like all of these kind of like fantastical accessories that were part of what was called like the cyber goth look which was kind of like what I was into um there was a hair forum online with a lot of the girls from London and the girls from London were kind of where this look was all happening. And so I ended up connecting with them and being part of this forum where everyone like exchanged tips and styling and like sourcing for all of these, like, you know, the plastic tubing and how to make dreads out of synthetic hair and just kind of sharing photos of everyone, um, you know, their looks going out. And I was actually like too young to really even go out. I mean, I was just barely a teenager. But I was just obsessed with the looks and and how it all came together. And, you know, I knew everything about all the latex designers of London, even though, like, I couldn't afford latex clothes and I couldn't go to clubs either. Um, But I just discovered all this online and it was just so magical and fantastical and beautiful. And so kind of by the time I was able to actually participate in this community, I had already, like, fully nerded out over, like, what it was all about. And so it was great, you know, by the time, so when I moved to Boston for college, I was seeking that community already and I found it. And when I arrived there, I had a lot to offer. You know, I was young, I made outfits, I was going to art school. I would make looks and put like electronic elements like LEDs and silicone and, you know, rivet things together. And I would basically just make outfits for the club and um, that helped me stand out and I met a lot of people and because I was so much into dancing and performing um, it just kind of grew naturally Um, I think that you know going to the club three days a week paying $15 a pop was expensive for a college student and so I started to try to think about ways that maybe I could 
um, subsidize my clubbing. And so I started looking for a job. And the club that I was going to at the time was this club called Man Ray. And it had been open for 25 years already in Boston. And it was like a goth, gay, industrial, alternative space. Um, and so I got a job as a flyer girl. And, you know, so my job was to flyer the crowd at the end of the night when flyers were still a thing. They were like, with that outfit, she's perfect. She's going to get exactly. the exact... She'll talk to everybody, yeah. you know, it's just like da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> so that was my first job. And so then I was like working for a promoter at the club. So then um, they were letting me in for free. And then after some time, I got another job at that club as a go-go dancer. Because again, like I was making all my outfits and I would always do makeup and hair and like had all these looks. So they were like, okay, so you dance on the block and, you know, for 30 minutes at a time. And there were maybe like a rotation of dancers. And then I was getting paid to be at the club. And that was great. Um, I also kind of got into- How old were you then? At that point I was in college. So I would have been, I was 19 actually. Yeah. Because the club in Boston wouldn't let you in until you were 19. So all 19, right. let's say 20. Mm. Um, and there was also a crew, the same friends who kind of, I met at this club used to also do, um, coordinated dance performances to industrial music with like costumes. Um, you know, kind of like the, the goth and fetish clubs of the eighties sort of had a strong kind of cabaret vibe to them. So like at this club, you know, throughout the night, the music would stop and there would be performances on stage whether it was like a dominatrix or just a dance performance that we would do or a fashion show. And so I was part of these dance performances for a while and that was always really enjoyable. And, you know, through that experience, I was always spending a lot of time listening to what the DJs were doing and how they were doing it. And it just got to a point where I was just kind of like, I could do this. Like, I want to do this. Can I do this? And I was just very lucky to have a very supportive group of friends. And they were like, yeah, you can do this. And we're going to get you started. They pulled some money together and they got me a little unit. It was called a Newmark CD Mix 2. And it's two pop-out trays with like tiny little two-inch jog wheels. And that's how I started DJing. And they gave me my first gig at like a local bar. And it was really great. You know, I think that Boston is a really special place. It's a very intellectual city. You know, there's a lot of colleges and obviously Harvard and MIT. Um, and so I think that I managed to avoid a lot of the, you know, like people say, and especially women in this industry say that they experienced so much difficulty getting started and mm. finding a place and so much pushback. And I really didn't experience any of that. Like there were also a lot of women in, in my scene that were in positions of power or just making things happen. And so in a sense, I mean, I think that the goth industrial scene really was like ahead of the curve in that sense, in many ways, you know. I also think that the goth industrial scene was sort of exploring queerness and gender identity without really talking about it that way. You know, like men were really feminine and wore eyeliner. Obvious. It was just the look. That mm. was just the vibe, you know. And like for me being into industrial, you know, industrial style was like hard and shaved head and like girls were like really tough. And like that kind of, I realize now was sort of like the beginning of me recognizing those aspects of myself. Um, 
And so I feel really lucky that I had an opportunity to grow up in an atmosphere like that. And like a lot of the people at Man Ray also were older, you know, they were goths in the eighties. And so I was partying with a lot of people that were already in their forties that sort of like had their lives together, like worked, were doctors or worked in pharmacy or, or, you know, education. And so I think that a lot of the aspects that are kind of dangerous or like negative or like can get dark about nightlife now especially in Berlin, didn't really, they just, it just wasn't that intense. It wasn't that crazy. You know, the party was over at like two in the morning and everybody went home or we had an after party, but like it, it didn't have the levels, the, le mm -hmm. the levels that I think that a lot of clubbing has now in New York and Berlin and everywhere in the world, you know? Um, so I think that it was, I was saved or protected from kind of the, what could go wrong early on when i was yeah when, when I was you young. don't have the the same judgmental like exactly right. uh -huh. um would you say uh you're spiritual yeah i think that anyway yeah i definitely have like a strong spiritual i just sense that when i read, read some interviews about you and about you were talking about gardening and taking you know there's something about also i believe there's a lot of musicians have a feeling about energy, creating a vibe, creating energy. And that's why I think it's exactly. also interesting. So, you know, my mother was a very alternative person. Um, she was a healer. And actually my, my father's sister, my aunt, was also a healer. So I feel like I inherited kind of some ancestral, you know, just like knowledge and experience and talent that I was also very lucky to have these two people that could explain to me, like, what this was and how to work with it because this is what they did in in their careers as well so um you know my mother raised me with a lot of kind of alternative viewpoints um because she herself had to do a lot of unlearning for her um, from her catholic upbringing and so my mother always made very sure that I never was imposed by any like ideology that made me feel bad or that like, you know, the idea that my body was bad or that like sin was like a thing that was, you know, I had to think about. Um, I was really raised with a lot of sort of ideas from Buddhism and anthroposophy and um, paganism kind of all just like mashed up. I went to Waldorf school oh. Um which is sort of like an alternative kind of system of schooling for young people to develop like imagination. Mm. And so I just grew up in an environment very kind of like hippie in a way um, that just like encouraged creativity and play and self-discovery. And so that also was kind of a space that was very protective for me. And so I was sort of just allowed to kind of be free and, mm. you know, wear costumes and play and, just have fun as a kid. And so I realized that it just sort of made me a very kind of like embodied and kind of open person um, that didn't have to really go through a lot of unlearning like many others do as adults. And so, you know, like even as like a teen, I identified as bisexual, but like it wasn't such a big deal. Um, I was just like, you know, interested in what I was interested in. And again, like when I started like dressing alternatively and going to raves and going to clubs and, you know, just kind of being an active teen, 
my parents were, you know, keeping an eye on me, but my grades were always good. And so they were like, all right, she's serious. We can't really say anything, you know, because like this all seems to be on the up and up. And so I think that I had a lot of freedom to just sort of explore life and, um, yeah, Buffalo had enough, you know, it had enough of all these things to have fun without it being overwhelming. And I think I just had a natural sense of responsibility to yeah. not kind of go crazy with it. Was there ever anything that was, because it seems like you had so much freedom to try your own ways and also not being judged and having, being welcome as a woman to the scene and all this. Was there, what's been the toughest in your career um honestly the toughest parts of the career I think right now are social media and how much we are expected to promote ourselves I find like self-promotion to be very difficult like I love to do my art and I love to live my life but the levels of like self ego and just kind of like extra attention that is sort of required in this industry to rise up I find really challenging for myself um because I just not the kind of person that like wants to draw that kind of attention all the time um I can be kind of a private person like I'm not really comfortable just doing whatever all the time and so I do find that to be a struggle um again because like I kind of I'm giving something to people that comes from a very private and 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 sensitive place. Um, I've gotten very far, <laughs> you know, just being a DJ, just being, you know, this and that. Um, but I think it's because people respond to the power that I bring to what I do. And so it's getting to a point now where... I'm really like at a level where the people around me are businesses, you know, like it's not just like a girl with a computer. I am literally just a girl with a computer. Like I don't have a manager. I don't have like PR. I don't have like stylists. I don't have people like telling me, Oh, you should do this. You should do that. I don't have people like necessarily bringing, you know, all sorts of opportunities my way. Like it's me, people I meet people that believe in me and that want to support me. And my agency does a great job and I really appreciate that. And I have been supported by artists along the way, you know, um, DVS one was basically responsible for connecting me with triangle. And so, you know, there are artists out there. I know like he's also very outspoken about doing it a different way and, you know, kind of being real and being against kind of a lot of this, like aggrandizing self-promotion. And so, you know, like I just hope that, we can create space for other artists that also don't really want to do all that or don't, you know, just can't for many reasons Yeah, because what it looks like is the least important aspect yeah. of what we do. What mm. it feels like is the most important aspect. And there's almost no way to translate that yeah. in social media. And this is a big topic within not only like within uh all music fields right now like i hear everyone talking about it but um speaking about like because you were going back in time you were like interested with latex and things as early on and the looks and got and uh, sailor moon and you know experience all kinds of uh, genres also uh, 
And actually, when this episode is out, you're soon playing at Club Verboten. Yeah. So you have this connection also with the kink scene. Um, do you attend both techno clubs and kink clubs yourself? So for me, you know, having this background in the goth industrial scene, I guess, is what really colors my persona in that way. Um, you know, for a long time, it was not clear that this alternative clubbing style was going to survive and continue to exist. You know, like uh, techno culture and kink culture were not the same thing. And so it was funny because for a very long time, I felt that I was the one that needed to you know, make sure that this fetish culture like survived and was connected to music and because this was the world that I wanted to be in, right? And then, you know, over time, you know, I went from playing industrial to playing tech house to playing electro house and all of these genres that evolved over time. And so when dark techno sort of came back and this kind of connection with the kink scene sort of naturally evolved, I was like, oh, great. That's, I'm so glad this is happening and it's not just, you know, not just my responsibility to try to make this happen because I was doing like techno, industrial and like, you know, kind of style crossover parties like back in like 2008 and stuff. Um, but I just, you know, I just didn't know that this was going to become such a phenomenon. Um, but I came to Berlin for the first time in 2008 and I went to Berghain and I was like, cause I was like, oh yeah, I know all about clubs like this, like. Let's see what they got. And of course, it blew my mind. And so, you know, that just became a big aspect of who I am as an artist because that's just where I want to be. You know, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to play to. These are my people. Um, this is the mood. <laughs> this is the look. And so for me, you know, like I'm at the club to dance. I love music. I love outfits. I like looking. Um, I love sexy people. And so... Um, I would say that I'm more of like a techno club girl, but I want to do that in like a kink atmosphere, right? Um, for me, like I don't feel super comfortable engaging at the club in that way, especially since I've become more of like a, a known person because there's just, you know, it's just like people, it's my place of work. Yeah, You know, I see the club as my place of work and I do feel like I don't just feel comfortable just like doing whatever. Um, you but need it's a, a good mask. Yeah, right. But it's a great place to meet, you know, and it's a great place to get to know people. And then maybe we can go like somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I believe in the kink scene and I believe that it needs to be fostered and preserved. And um, I'm just so glad that that's a thing that just happened, you know. And so, yeah, I would say I'm definitely more of like a techno club girl than a kink scene girl. But it's still the same look and feel, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us uh, something about you that no one knows? Or like maybe your mom knows, <laughs> your right. close friends or whatever, but that... Yeah. You know, I can be pretty shy. I'm mm -hmm. not super outgoing. And I think that in my life, I've relied a lot on either doing something really interesting or like having a look to sort of draw people to me. Mm. Because I think I always felt a little unsure to kind of reach out. Um, I think that when I was younger, I just felt very ugly and just was like not very well embodied. Um, I also experienced a lot of, um, dysmorphia as a child. What is that again? Just, just kind of feeling like my body and myself, oh, yeah. um, image were not in line. Mm. Um, I definitely experienced a lot of sense that I should be a boy or more masculine and, 
I was my 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 sense, my physical self, even when I was younger, was like really not matching up with that. Mm -hmm. And so it took some time to sort of um, work through that. I mean, this was way before people were talking about gender identity in general. I was just like into anime and like thought that I should be like seven foot tall and like super skinny and just like, you know, in like a way that I wasn't. And so it took a lot of time to kind of not just like just to find something that I was comfortable with and then sort of when um the whole gender identity conversation sort of grew as part of this queer scene I was like learning from it while also being in it you know and then like had moments where I was just like okay guys I'm also part of this you know and like it's it can be scary you know to to be an, a DJ uh, an artist someone that other people see have everyone being so honest about themselves around you and then realizing that you also have something to say, but being afraid to say it or not sure what it is and like learning while being in public in a way. Mm. And so that has always been just something that is part of my personal development. And you also create a queer parties yourself. Like, um, what's your view on safe spaces and what does it take yeah. to be a safe space? I think that the term safe space is difficult because ultimately like we can't promise safety to people. And so I like to use the term safer spaces mm. um, because yes, definitely we need to create alternative spaces. I mean, everyone deserves to have a space where they feel at home. And I was cradled by spaces like that growing up. And so, you know, I think that right now there's a lot of ways that the industry has kind of figured out or not the industry, but these kind of parties have figured out, you know, like uh, awareness teams and monitoring and stuff like that. But, you know, for the parties that we do, I think the most important aspect of creating a safer space is actually being very intimately connected with and aware of who is at your event and what they do and what they're doing and what they need and what they want And I think that that's something that we've actually been criticized for because people maybe consider it to be too exclusive or just kind of like a little bit too like on top of people. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of these spaces have become a free-for-all for dangerous narcissistic behavior and abuse of substances and all, all kinds of abuse, really. And... Um, It can be painful and really socially um, uncomfortable to have to separate people from the event and stuff like that. But I think that in the long term, it has allowed us to create a space that we are truly in control of and and that benefits those who can accept the rules. You know, it's like the same thing at Bergheim. You can do anything you want except for all those things that you can't do. And we won't tell you what they are, but you're going to figure them out. And, and I, 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 we really learned a lot from clubs like that about how to fine tune all of these, um, parameters, um, to kind of create what seems like a controlled chaos, but is actually just like a, a community, a functioning community. Mm. You know, I think that unfortunately the word community gets thrown around a lot, mostly just to get something or be against someone else. Mm. And it's important to really just be in touch with the people that you're creating space for so that you can actually protect them. 
And, and that's something that we deal with all the time. It gets crazy sometimes. It's a lot of work. But if you want to be, if you want to create the space that you want to see, for me, that's the work that needs to be done. And that's the kind of, you know, we create the community that we want to be a part of. And that's just it. That's the work. Do you believe in having the rules written and up people's faces? Or do you believe more in finding out as you go? You know, I struggle with that myself because on one hand, I, you know, these posters and everything is so didactic and all these rules are like very aggressive and you know it's like because it wasn't like that when I was young I'm like why does it have to be this way but I also understand that like electronic music has grown beyond sort of like you know in the past like if you got into these scenes you were really like about it and you kind of had like a mentorship or some sort of growth into it that sort of like showed you the ropes but I think that there's just so many people getting into it now that that's not really feasible. Like people just show up because they heard about it. You know, I mean, Berlin is so legendary for this club scene. People are like, you know, YouTube, how to get into Berghain and like, you know, follow some silly rules. So you don't really have that like social um, conditioning as you used to being part of a subculture. I mean, so I wouldn't even say subculture really exists anymore because, you know, any sort of trend or style is immediately promoted and co-opted by the wider internet so that's where the social breakdown comes and so that's kind of why we end up needing posted rules because the people coming to these events are not necessarily part of our social fabric mm -hmm. and so I get it um, I wish that there was a way to be softer to be more gentle to be more kind of welcoming but apparently people need sometimes to be like knocked on a little bit to to get it And I do think that it has been effective. You know, for example, even like when I started becoming more known, I would feel uncomfortable because people would come up to me on the dance floor. I'm literally in the middle of dancing and people are like, hey, hey, hey excuse me. And then like start talking your ear off and you're like, I was what? Rude. Right, rude. And thankfully, like, you know, the messaging has become such that now people sort of know how to not to do that. You know, they're like, don't bother people on the dance floor. Don't bother girls. Don't touch girls, you know, if you don't know them, especially. So in one sense, that sort of like didactic internet kind of like presence has definitely made things better. So maybe that's just what needs to happen because of how many people are just kind of getting into it freshly. Mm. What kind of changes would you wish to see in the future? I mean, I think it's really important that we really need to start working together beyond just to have a party, you know? I mean, in the United States right now, we're experiencing a rollback of basic human rights that is unimaginable. And besides sort of like internet posting activism and donating, you know, poor people donating their money back and forth, um, Unfortunately, I think that a lot of social media has kind of trapped people into fighting with each other as opposed to realizing that as a class, we need to be, you know, like struggling upwards, like against, Work against, against the, same the yeah, we need to be working together against these forces that are very organized and have been very working against us for a long time because 
we're just going to keep losing rights. And you can't just like party that away. So we're really getting to a point where people need to kind of wake up and get organized and like really be that community that we all claim to be in order to literally protect our people and to protect our rights. Well said. Thank you. (laughs) Get a little teary because yeah, it's really, it's so important. It's either this or it's that. This is this or that. Uh, Front row raver or backstage dancer? You know, I love a backstage, (laughs) but I'm also a front row raver. (laughs) Um, I would say mostly I'm a front row raver. Anarchism or monarchy? (laughs) So easy. I mean, anarchy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being American, I don't really even know what monarchy is about. (laughs) So (laughs) definitely anarchy. Film The Craft or Harry Potter? The Craft. I mean, I was thinking... We are the weirdos, mister. I think that was one of three movies I had at home when I grew up. Sure. <laughs> My cousins always say they're like, we always watched The Craft when we were at your place. I was like, that's the only movie. But it was so fun. And, and an I thought movie. about it when I've been uh, reading about you or like your interviews and stuff. Uh-huh. I was like, she Yeah, I was really obsessed with like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like all sorts of like fantasy kind of dark glamour fantasy shows and things like that for sure. So fun. Um, Only beer or what comes your way along the night? (sighs) Real talk. What comes along the way during the night has definitely been my MO. And it's also something that I really had to kind of learn how to reel in as I became a public persona. Because, you know, when you're a DJ, people will just start offering you stuff, like everything, all the time. And I just love to say yes. And I mean, my friends to this day, they know this about me. I just say yes. And so that's something that I always need to like keep in check for myself. And just kind of as I became more of an adult, had to learn what really worked and was not working for me. Learning the lessons. Yeah. Sometimes in a very public way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daytime or nighttime clubbing? Nighttime clubbing, for sure. Bagels or New York pizza? Slices. <laughs> well, a New York bagel is really something special. Airports or train stations? You know, I have almost no experience using train stations, but I can't say that I like airports. It's just part of the job. <laughs> At yeah. least it gets you there quickly. Mm. Big city vacation or into the wild? Um, I'm more of a city girl. Yeah, I've never been. I mean, I appreciate nature more now, I guess, as I'm getting older, but I've definitely never been a rustic girl. No. Okay, so now, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Now we have some assumptions that okay. that is just like it can, you know, it can go west. I've never met you before, so it's right. the first time. So, you believe the darker month of the year makes you stronger? No. <laughs> no, that's one was wrong. Uh, you would never be friend with the person who uses the phrase love and light. Sending you love and light. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> As a teenager, you were the person at the party who pierced people's navel with a needle. 
I was not that extreme. But my friends were. <laughs> All right. So you were in the crew, but not the needle carrier. Yeah. <laughs> you have started stalking, uh, stalking an ex, but lost interest after half an hour. No, if I'm going to stalk, it's probably for the next several years. <laughs> Wild. You think about going off the grid once a month, but your manager keeps encouraging you to stay online. That sounds about right. People who know you would describe you as tormented, soft, and hardcore. Depends on how well they know me. How well must they know you? I mean, if they know me pretty well, like those could those could apply. Oh, fun. That was all. I feel it was like 50-50. Yeah. But that's still good. Sure. I'm okay. <laughs> you passed. You passed. I, I passed and you were, yeah, you could have said anything and you still pass. <laughs> Thank you so, so Thank much. You. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.